I hate housework. I, I hate dusting, I hate cleaning windows. There's just something about it that feels pointless, hard work and a waste of time. I mean, even having to vac the floors is a chore. You know, the lead never quite reaches where I needed to go, so I'd have to stop, I'd have to unplug it, then find another socket before carrying on. And then, and then having to move all of the furniture to be able to vac underneath, it's so annoying. And then a couple of years ago, our vacuum cleaner broke. Now, it wasn't through overuse, I assure you, but it stopped working. And so Sarah and I decided to spend a lot more money and buy a cordless Dyson. Yes, a cordless Dyson. And suddenly, housework was going to be much easier as this new vacuum cleaner promised so much. You know, no lead to get in the way, a much stronger suction than our previous vacuum cleaner due to the principle of cyclonic separation. <laughs> I know, it's impressive. A battery that lasts between 20 and 30 minutes before needing recharging. An easy to empty dust container with no bags needed. You see, this is a dual cyclone, bagless, cordless vacuum cleaner. I was so excited to get home with this kind of new equipment that would transform housework for me. And when it came to it, in reality, it changed very little. I mean, I still had to vac the carpets as often as I did before. Yes, it has no lead, but the suction was very average, unless you put it onto Superboost, and then it was so much better. But Superboost drains the battery so quickly that it needs recharging after only a few minutes. So what cost a lot and promised so much proved into reality to be, well, a bit of a disappointment. And you know, so many things in life can offer much, even promise much, but fail to live up to those promises. You know, certain diets, kitchen equipment, cheap holidays abroad where the photos of the apartment has nothing to do with the one that you actually get. And you've seen those ads on TV selling fitness equipment where every user is strong and toned and fit, and they certainly didn't get that way through using the very equipment they're advertising. You see, it promises much, but delivers little. A few years back, um, we had, um, we had uh, a flat roof on our garage replaced, and with it came a lifetime guarantee. And a few years later, when it was leaking, we went back to the company and found that they'd gone bust, and their promise and guarantee meant nothing, and it had zero value. When it comes to the promise of faith in the person of Jesus, is what he offers just a gimmick that doesn't really last, or does he really offer something more? And why should we believe what he says and offers anyway? I mean, what are those promises based on? You see, to take a step of faith and belief needs some kind of evidence to back it up, doesn't it? I'm Tanya, I'm married to Carl and we have four children. And I met Carl in 2001 and then a few years later, we moved to Suffolk. I went to spiritual church, oh, I must have been in my 20s, and I started going there. And then somebody, this, this man who said, oh, I can train you to be a medium. And I was going each week to be trained to be a medium. It just didn't sit right. It just, it just, something just didn't sit comfortable with me. We lost my nan 
and the lady who gave me this reading knew what I'd been through and everything else because she was quite close to me and she was telling me all these things about my nan and everything and I was like whoa hang on a minute when I left the church I knew that there was something different inside me I couldn't I can't put it into words um I just know that there was something completely different in me and I found over a course of time that I was detaching myself from people that I didn't want to be associating with they was like bad news uh, we was on a money cap course and I went to the church where it was being held and this lady who was on the course said to me do you go to church I said no, nah, I used to go to spiritual church but that's not for me so we went along and just really really felt at home just felt like I belonged and we'd been going each week for several weeks and the speaker done a talk on forgiveness and forgive being forgiven and I can't tell you what was actually said in that service but it, I know it was then that God spoke to me I just had tears streaming down my face and all the way through the service and I knew then that something had changed in me So we come to the final session and I really hope that you're still curious. Let's do a little recap. We've been on quite a journey over these sessions and we began with the question, is there more to life? Is there like a missing piece? And here's the jigsaw again, you know, the thousand piece jigsaw, 999, but there's this missing piece that makes all the difference. And we looked at where the faith could be that missing piece. And we looked at the importance of evidence rather than looking for proof. And if God is real, What's he really like? We all have images of God. But we considered the image of God as being like this lovesick father. And in order to reach us, because relationship is what beats at the heart of the lovesick father, he came as Jesus, who alone stands head and shoulders above every other person on planet Earth. He really is a big deal. But you know, what makes Jesus remarkable is not just the things he said or the things he did, but it's what happened after he died. You see, history is full of people who claimed to be God. And history is full of people who died claiming to be God. But history only records one person who claimed to be God and whose followers claim that he came back from the dead. Christians call this the resurrection and it's a big deal. Actually, it's the biggest deal of all. It's the event that everything else stands or falls on. You see, the resurrection is not a belief that grew up in the early church. It's the belief around which the early church grew up. The church didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the church. In fact, the Bible didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the Bible in a sense because for the first 300 years of Christianity, they didn't have the Bible that you and I would know today. But what they did have is they had this event, the resurrection of Jesus. And for 300 years without the Bible, this event changed and shaped everything and they went on to change the world. A few years ago, the Guardian at Easter time was running a, a, an article around the resurrection and it said this in, in one of its columns. These abundant historical references leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The more interesting question, which goes beyond history and objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. So here's the thing, and I'm going to make this really, really clear. 
If the resurrection is true, it's game on. If the resurrection is not true, it's game over. Why do I believe it's true? Aren't you even a little curious? Let me give you three reasons why I believe it's true. Number one, eyewitnesses. Over 500 people claim to have seen Jesus in the weeks after his verified death and burial. Hallucinations maybe, well, medically that's pretty impossible for that many people to have the same hallucination, seeing the person that, you know, in so many different places and at different times. It's just not a rational option. And the other thing is that historians say it takes between 60 and 80 years for a legend to be believed. And yet within 30 years, this bunch of people spread Christianity around the Roman Empire, so much so that the Emperor Nero blames them for a fire he started himself in Rome. It's very unlikely that this is just a legend. And then the second thing is evidence. We already spoke about the difference between proof and evidence. Here's what we know. Jesus lived, fact. Jesus died, fact. Jesus was buried, fact. Nobody has ever found the body, fact. Eyewitnesses claimed he rose from the dead. Many gave their lives for that assertion, fact. So what happened to the body? Aren't you curious, even a little? Maybe his followers took it. In which case, most of them died, not for a belief, but for a lie. And it's true, many people die for what they believe. But do people die for something they know is not true? You know, political scandals aren't anything new. In fact, one of the most famous political scandals called Watergate happened in America in the 1970s. And one of the guys who went to prison for his part in that scandal actually came to faith in Christ, in Jesus, in prison. His name was Charles Colson. And he said this, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. Many lost their lives. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 men kept alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. So if his followers didn't take the body, maybe the authorities took the body, maybe the Romans or the Jews. But then why would they do that? And why when Christianity began to spread like wildfire, why didn't they just produce the body of Jesus and the whole thing is over? It's not rational at all. In fact, talking about rational, a guy called Lee Strobel, he was a legal journalist, worked for the Chicago Tribune and a staunch atheist. And he noticed his wife going out every Sunday morning and eventually he asked her where she was going. She said, I started going to church, I've become a Christian. He said, I'm going to do all I can with my legal journalistic mind to disprove Christianity and to prove that it's all false. This is what he writes. In the end, after I'd investigated the matter, I reached an unexpected conclusion. It would actually take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a follower of Jesus. And that's why I'm now celebrating another Easter as a Christian. Not because of wishful thinking, the fear of death, or the need for a psychological crutch, but because of the facts. Eyewitnesses, evidence, and number three, experience. The resurrection of Jesus means Jesus is alive and millions of people have experienced that to be true. And this is what that means. 
Every prayer you ever pray is heard because Jesus is alive. Every moment you experience, you don't experience it alone because Jesus is alive. Every challenge you face, you don't have to face it alone because Jesus is alive. Every funeral you face, you don't have to face it without hope because Jesus is alive. Every ounce of faithfulness and service counts because Jesus is alive. Every time something dies in your life, a relationship, a hope, a dream, life can live again because Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive, everything about everything changes. It's game on. If the resurrection is not true, it's game over. So, if you're still curious, here's a final question. What do you do now? Maybe you're asking that question, okay, I'm still curious, what do I do now? Here's what I want to suggest you do. You take a step of faith. Maybe for you that step feels more like a leap. That's all right. It's not a blind leap. It's not a blind step. There's evidence, but it's a step. It's a leap of faith because faith is about putting your trust. Now, if you want Christian faith to line up 100% with your current ideas and ideals, you don't really want God. You want a mirror. You've decided that you're God, actually. But if you sense there must be something more, maybe there's a missing piece. And maybe that missing piece could be Jesus. Let me help you. Maybe you're asking this, do I need to believe it all before I take that step? <laughs> Absolutely not. Jesus didn't say, believe it all, then follow me. Jesus just said, follow me. Follow me with your questions. Follow me with your doubts. Follow me with you as you really are. What about this? Do I need to be able to keep up with all the expectations and behaviours? No, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, sort yourself out, change. No, he said, follow me and I will make you. In other words, follow me and then change. What about this? So you might say, well, do, do I need to change right away? That's a big, big question. You know, several years ago, I got married and, you know, I knew when I got married that I'd have to change, okay? And uh, a few uh, months ago, I was, well, just a few years ago, actually, I was going to go on a trip away and um, uh, I was there uh, in the kitchen and, um, and what happened is that I gave my wife a hug and it was very romantic and she said, I'm really going to miss you while you're away. And I said, oh, darling, that's really nice. And as I'm walking out the door, she said, it wasn't always like that, you know? In fact, sometimes I couldn't wait until you left. I thought, oh, that's nice, isn't it? But what she was saying is that I changed. And that's what love does over time. Love changes relationships. It's exactly the same in your relationship with God. One final question you might have. So if I take this step or this leap of faith, what will happen then? Well, listen, you will begin the greatest adventure that you could ever imagine of discovering who God is. And there's so much to discover. Of discovering who you are of discovering who God wants you to be and what he wants for your life. But you'll also discover and get a hold of those five things that we said right at the start of, of this whole adventure that we've been on. That missing piece of sense. That missing piece of meaning. That missing piece of purpose and of resource. And of the thing that the world is looking for more than anything. Peace itself. Still curious? I really hope you are. I was abused, sexually abused as a child from a very, very young age. Um, and there was times, I was nine, I remember being nine, and I took myself off to Sunday school. Don't know why, 
but I just took myself off to Sunday school. But I do look back and I just think, why did all these things happen to me? Why did all this abuse? Because it was family members, it was a friend of the family. Then I got into abusive relationships. And you just, you seriously look back and you just think, well, why? I found it very, very hard to forgive the people who had done those things to me. But knowing God has given me the power to be able to forgive those people. And I will tell anybody that you can't move forward until you can forgive somebody for what they've done to you. And I know I would never have been able to do that until I, you know, unless I'd met God, you know, brought Jesus in my life. Don't get me wrong, you're not just gonna say, I forgive you and it's all over. You know, you've, there's no feelings from the past or anything. It's a long process, but God allows you to be able to go through that process. He walks you step by step through that process of being able to forgive somebody. And then that makes your life better in the long run. The Alpha course is to help you understand who Jesus is and to hopefully bring you closer to Jesus. Certainly not judgmental, everybody I think everybody goes and they think, well, you know, what's this like and everything. But when you get there, everybody's just normal people and you just sit there and you can have this conversation and there is no silly questions, which I, I learned because I thought, well, you know, I don't really want to ask this. But then other people are asking questions and you think, well, they don't feel silly asking it. So it's, there's no silly questions. A lot of things, like, yeah, a lot of things have come clear, but one that really, really stands out is how I'm finding that I'm having conversation with God throughout the day. I can be standing there washing up or something and I'm having this conversation. It's, I don't, it's not got to be sit down or you get down on your knees and you pray and that, you know, you can have a conversation with our Heavenly Father. And that was brought up on the course about just having a conversation with God. And you think, oh, I can't have a conversation with God, it's really silly. But no, it's not you just find yourself talking to God in the day, driving, doing whatever you're doing. You can just be having this conversation and it's like he's really listening to you and everything. One of the biggest differences Jesus made in my life is how I see other people, how I respond to other people. I don't judge other people like I used to. And I think, you know, people would probably judge me, but they don't know me. They don't know the steps that I've walked. Since becoming to know Jesus, he's definitely brought us together closer as a family. Um, it's just little things like, you know, we sit and do Bible time together in the evenings and that, but it's the way we speak to each other. And even my older children, they've all said to me about the change in me, you know, how they've seen me change. They're not living with us, but when I see them and I speak to them on the phone, the change in me that they have seen and I just praise God because he's shown my children and other people who's in contact with me what it's like to actually have Jesus in your life. Throughout this series, we've been wanting to explore who God is and what he's like. I mean, we've looked at the person of Jesus and today the resurrection. And we've heard different people's stories of how faith in Jesus has brought a change, a, a freedom, a, a peace to their lives. But if you're 
curious to know if all of this is true, then understand that it rises and falls on the resurrection. A man called Paul, who had been so against the Christian faith and had got Christians killed or thrown others into prison, had this complete turnaround in his life when he encountered Jesus after Jesus' resurrection. His whole life took on a different direction. You know, teaching about Jesus and calling people to follow him. And his faith and new life was based on one thing, the truth of the resurrection. And so he wrote to a church in Corinth, and in it he said this, in this letter, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we've said that God raised Christ from the grave. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. So as Leon said earlier, if it's true, game on. If it's not, game over. So my question to you is this, will you be curious enough to explore the evidence of the resurrection and find out more? And if your curiosity leads you to the point where, after looking at the evidence, you come to the conclusion that it's true, will you have the courage to take a step of faith? A step of faith into a life of great adventure that Jesus calls you to.